Hi, and welcome to Grazia Life Advice, Grazia Magazine's podcast. I'm Hattie Crisell, and while your usual host, Rhiannon Evans, is away for a while, I'll be holding the fort. I'll be interviewing women worth listening to and getting them to share six pieces of advice they really value and the worst piece of advice they've ever received. Our guest this week is Mary Portis. She's the founder of Portis Agency, but you may know her best as Mary Queen of Shops. Mary is a retail expert who rose through the ranks at both Topshop and Harvey Nichols, and her new book, Work Like a Woman, is a manifesto for change. It shares some of the lessons she's learnt in her astonishing career and explains why we'd all benefit from taking macho culture out of the workplace. I met Mary here at the Grazia office, and before we even started recording, she'd already told me off for making her what was a frankly, unacceptably weak cup of tea. She was a fascinating guest with tons of advice on carving out a career that works for you. So, over to Mary. I'm here with Mary Portis, who's been running around all over the place talking about her new book, Work Like a Woman. How are you doing today, Mary? Yeah, I'm a bit tired today. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I am, I, but I, only because I had a really good sleep. <laughs> oh. You know, I, but I woke up about 5.30. I thought, should I get up and do a bit of a stretch and do some Pilates downstairs? No, I'll go back to bed. And then having that extra hour and a half just... It's made me more tired. Do you normally get up at 5.30? No, I woke up at 5.30. I do normally get up about quarter past six because okay. Horatio comes bashing into the door. I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> That's the downside of kids. Yeah. The early morning call. Saturday or Sunday. No weekend. Yeah. So you are, at this stage, surely one of the country's highest achievers. You've got your agency. You've got your living and giving shops. It's one near me. It's very fabulous. And now several books under your belt. How many books is this? Is this your third, fourth? fourth? I think. Yes. So, have you always had this kind of never-ending, prolific supply of ideas, or do you have to work at it? Oh, that's a good question. No one's ever asked me that. That is what I do have. I just have ideas all the time, um, and it's really funny because now the team around me go, "No, that one's not going to happen. <laughs> we'll put that. We'll just park that one, Mary." Um, and there's times I think I just and I see someone's done something. I said I wanted to do that, but there's only so much you can do. Yeah. Um, and I'm not one of those people that works twenty four seven. So my energy has to be focused because I will and, and I need to have balance. So I need to know that when I'm really on and being creative and I've got an idea and I want to work on it, I also need the downtime. So I'll, I'll never be one of those that's twenty four seven in putting every hour in and just. So it just doesn't do you, make me excited. How do you do that? Do you have to have quite strict boundaries about, look, I'm not working tonight and I'm not working this weekend, or is it? Well, the boundaries make themselves for you because you work to your own rhythm, as it were, and that's what I've learnt to know as I've, I've got older. I mean, gosh, when I was younger, you know, didn't have kids or whatever, I was probably your age, I would be sitting in the office, I'd love it, if the sun goes down, you put the lamps on and you keep working. But then you go with the rhythms of yourself and, and you understand when you're at your best and rest is important for me And or I'll go to the country and sometimes I'll be on my own. I say, no, I want to be on my own. And my wife goes, you want to be on your own down there? I go, yes, I do. And I might just walk in the hills and I'll just have an idea idea and it will just mould or someone at the agency will be doing something and I'll call Emily or I'll call Richard and go you know that thing we're working on and I know that the freedom has enabled me to to be creative now in the old days I'd have sort of had to manage it myself now I have an infrastructure of really good people yeah. um, and I think I I I 
I don't know what I'm actually doing tomorrow. I just about know what I'm doing this afternoon. And I don't mean that anything. I don't, I put myself totally in the present to be the best at what I have in hand then. Mm. Um, and that I think has been my success. So then you surround yourself by really talented people. You pay them well and you trust them. And they're the ones that will look after that minutiae. I will say like she, Emily just said to me, that no, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. And, and you have to respect them and everybody should have a proper voice. And then I'm able to be me within that construct. Yeah, that's brilliant. Does that sound a bit complicated? No, absolutely. And I feel like I've heard this from other very high achievers as have well, you? that it's about kind of outsourcing the things that don't need your immediate attention so that you can really focus on what's important. I remember... Um, when I was going through a really, really tough time, I think it was the breakup of my first marriage, and I remember I'd just started the business, and I was like, oh my gosh, I had two very young kids. And this very successful businessman said to me, just put the car in the drive for now, park it. The world will keep going. Know that you need to park it for a month. And the minute that I did that, I knew that that part, or the business, don't worry, don't sweat, that will just tick over, focus on your family. And it was just a really good learning thing. And I always think of that visual, Know when the car's parked, know when you're driving it, know when to take it out and what lane to go in. Yeah. And at what time and when to overtake or not. It's just that's the sort of thing I have in my head. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant. And you're already giving me advice and we haven't even started on the advice section of events. <laughs> so let's start with the advice you've brought today. So I, I think your first one was about keeping your sense of humour. Is that right? Yeah. But actually, when on my way here, my, I started being a bit naughty. My publisher said to me, you do that when you're a bit bored. And I said, I do. <laughs> I, love, I do naughty things because I like to laugh. I really like to laugh. I mean, and I was, I, it was really interesting because this weekend I met up with five of my old school friends that I haven't, who I went to, to infant school with when I was five. And we were back in that classroom still laughing the same way. And I was always the naughtiest one. So, and I just think that being intense, an intense businesswoman, it's just, I just find that deeply unsexy. And I love people with humour and a sense of mischief, but have a great work ethic. That That's the thing I think is really important. And life, you have to sometimes laugh at it. You yeah. Know? Have there been particular periods where you think having a sense of humour has helped you, helped carry you through? I think there's been times where I've had to, where, where yeah, I think we're... <laughs> I'm laughing to myself when we missed out on a major account we should have got, you know, and I knew that we presented badly I was, and, and uh, we came out absolutely exhausted. We'd been flying internationally. We'd working with big clients internationally and we went off to this piece of business, which we should have won. We were the right agency for, but we knew we hadn't because mm. we were rubbish. And as we got out, we were all <laughs> so tired. And I remember saying to Richard, you were rocking like an old granny in the chair doing that presentation. <laughs> and he went, did, didn't I? And we just burst out laughing. We'd lost a massive <laughs> business. And I look at the work the other agencies do now and I just think, not good enough. We would have been better. But we laughed because we were just so rubbish. You know, and yeah. you know, we were just tired. We were in the wrong energy level and we ha we'd worked late the night before. We were trying to catch up. But we still laughed. And that, that was just, that just broke that. And it was no one ever thinking, oh, my God, I feel responsible. We were all in this together yeah. and so we were able to laugh at each other's inadequacies and quite a good way to deal with a failure as well because yeah. I suppose 
you can dwell on it or you can just say onwards and upwards and get on with the next thing. Yeah, I mean, listen, if we were consistently failing, I'm not sure I'd be laughing too much and yeah. I'm not sure they would be. But I knew that these were my homies. These were the team of people like you do on a magazine. You know you're in this together. You know when the publishing time is, when the deadline is. And there's times where you've missed something or the wrong picture or gone in or someone said something. And you have to laugh. But you're laughing with this energy, this united force, which I think is, is really good. And you never laugh at people you love with people and it's really really important and but I'm the biggest kid in the office I'll leave a note on someone's desk that's rude or something you know <laughs> and I'm laughing my head off and they go oh god Mary grow up <laughs> <laughs> okay so moving on to your second piece of advice you have choices think carefully about the kind of place where you want to work ask questions of your employer research the company you might work for what are their retention rates staff retention rates happy people don't leave jobs in droves you know mm. and what's the parental leave policy you might not be thinking that now at 29 but it's interesting to know it gives you something of a culture and shows you what they think about that and how many women do they have in senior management on their board mm. um I think, you know, and I have a young daughter who has just finished university and is applying for work at the moment. And I just see that insecurity. This is a kid who's got a two one out of Oxford and she's like, Mama, um, I want to write to someone. And, and I just think, well, how do I start this letter? And do you think it sounds pushy if I do this? And I'm like, oh, my God, Verity, you're my daughter. And yet you still feel <laughs> If this. Mary Porter's own daughter is struggling with this, I feel better now about all my But I, worries. you know, I do remember that. And I remember your editor, who's also out of Oxford, you know, coming round and it we we've all been in those places and somehow that vulnerability you know, are we good enough is still there but here is the thing and it's a really important thing you know i run an agency of over 50 people and we are always looking for the best people mm. and sometimes those best people aren't the ones who are arrogant and are out there and pushing themselves forward and i want those good people to come in and ask about us so that the fit is right mm -hmm. that is important i know okay we're evolved as a business and some businesses aren't but don't work for them yeah that's the thing ask those questions you know it's a bit like applying to universities and I always have this thing what's meant for you won't pass you by your mother my mother used to say that to me and I say that to my kids if you've gone in there with an open heart and the right attitude you need to do your due diligence you need to ask those questions and don't try and change your shape to fit into something that isn't going to be right for you so right away ask those and just feel confident enough you should be able to ask those and that will tell you what sort of culture and business you'll yeah. be going into because I still have many friends who are nervous about even asking what the pay will be for of a course. job what the fee will be or what the salary mm. will be so you know if somebody is feeling well I don't want to I don't want to annoy them by being too pushy or I don't want them to think that I'm going to be hard work how do you broach those sort of important questions about the culture and the parental you, leave you have to sit in your room on your own and you face that and you write down those questions and you go what do I really want to know what do I really want to know mm -hmm. it's like a relationship you know you go on that first date you want to know have you been in a long relationship before you do don't you you know do you sleep around a bit yeah. <laughs> you know you want to know why did your last part partner leave what did it break it up you want to know that because how are you going to know that person yet you sit there and you meekly accept so much stuff now, obviously, on your first date, the poor guy will be running for the hills or woman if you started like that. But you do know that you want to know that at some point. So I always say, write down what you genuinely want to know of a business. 
And then face those fears. We have to. Here's the thing, girls. Unless you start doing it, you must do it. You will perpetuate the situation Mm -hmm. because the guys do it. They do. And unless you do, I can only say to you, it's okay to do it. It is right to do it. And if you came for a job at my business, I would expect you to and I would respect you. So do it. Okay, that's That's all I can say. And I suppose also if a company has a series of interviewees coming in, you know, every time they're hiring for a job and all saying, what's the parental leave policy or whatever, then that company has to become more aware. They have to come and that shift will come. I call it the power of goddess. It's happening. I'm telling you, we are going through this. It is. (laughs) It is happening. The shift is happening. We were suppressed by for so many years, primarily by the church, mm-hmm. and power was in the hands of the church. Power is in the hands of politicians. Power is in the hands of big business. Unless we're in there, we ain't going to have a say. Mm-hmm. And they are absolutely making decisions on our future. We need to do this. This is more than just making the most money. This is having influence where power is and having a voice at the table. We mm-hmm. need it. Yeah, fantastic. And that brings us quite neatly onto your next piece of advice, which I think is about supporting other women. Yeah, support other women. Your colleagues are your greatest strength, not your enemies. I can't think of anything worse when you see other women knocking other women. It's like, stop this. This is the sisterhood. You need to do it. And also call out other women if they do that to you. This is also where I go about working with your tribe and connecting with your tribe. When you feel that something's going wrong at work, you can bet your bottom dollar someone else will have felt that. So talk with them, make these little groups, connect together, create your own little pressure group just to make life better. It's not to do anything negative, to make life better. So talk about it and have a collective voice. And if something's happening in an organization or a business you don't like, you can come together rather than just you on your own. It's really, really important. And I remember my days back as a junior at Harrods, my pals, the other women were just really intrinsic to my success and moving on and feeling their support. And I'd like to feel that like I've done the same in turn for them. It's just it's just the way of the world. We can't do it on our own. We just can't. Um, and I, I, I look at the women who support me in, in my business today and the great men. But, you know, I, I talk openly from my heart to them. I have an MD, you know, she's 15 years younger than me. But my God, I listen to her. Yeah. What what makes me think I'm going to know any better? There were experiences I have I can share with her. But she sure as hell shares them back on her life journeys. And I just find that just so supportive. They are my backbone. Mm. I think it's something that we've become more, I've certainly become more aware of in my 30s. As you move further into your industry, you start to realise how important those relationships are and how it lifts everyone up. Totally. Yeah. It really does. And when I look at programmes like The Apprentice when they're all fighting each other, I just think, Kel or uh, that is just <laughs> not the way to live a life. And, you know, there's been times where I was going, oh, gosh, and I'd see people and think, oh, I could do better than that. You know, of course we've all done that. But when you open up your heart and you say to people, you know, we're in this together and, and you just show a bit of kindness and mutual respect, it comes back in spades. Yeah. So your fourth piece of advice is about the fear of failure. Yeah. We're all afraid of failure, but men don't let it hold them back as much. We need to learn this lesson too. I mean, I've failed many times, but what does it mean? I've had times where I've opened up the newspaper and it's written Mary Queen of Flops on a major 
you know, page, and I've just thought, my God, this is this is bad. And because I've put my head above the parapet, or I've had an opinion, and I've got into a political game where you are in that, and so you're there to be knocked. Um, but I've I've just grown from it, and I know it sounds such an old adage, but I just have grown from it because I haven't fought back to try and protect my reputation. I've just worked back and created work and stuff that I do that shows who I am. And you know what? People are extraordinary. They they see for who you truly are. Mm-hmm. People see through that. And you know what? Being honest and being vulnerable is okay. In fact, it's rather beautiful and people like it. And I think when you're not honest and vulnerable and you put on this kind of shield or you lose a bit of yourself and I think some of the best people that we've ever seen have told the stories of when they failed and when you have failed I, I we have 80 20 syndrome in our business whereas 80 percent let's really try and do great 20 percent because we're all gonna cock up I was gonna say another word but I don't know whether I was allowed to use it <laughs> anyway I fuck up regularly but as long as, you know and you just go I got that wrong and I, I I don't try and paper over the cracks just go you know I am I failed on this one or I haven't done it as well it's okay Mm. it's really okay and don't be one of those politicians that just lie themselves out of situations and just lie and lie until it gets so bad failure is okay we all make mistakes and it is how we learn but it also shows we're human yeah is there a particular moment in your career that you look back on and think well you know that was a a bit of a disaster and then this is what came out of it you know I think the the worst part that I've ever been was going into doing p- political stuff and working for government and doing the high street because I wasn't prepared for the the what happens because I did a report for the conservatives people thought I was conservative I'm not um, and I was doing a piece of work that was right for the public the right for our community right for how we should live which is our high streets and suddenly I was in a political game and I, you, so it's like when you hear Theresa May say something of course the other people are not on her side or trying to put her down just write another negative piece I wasn't prepared for that and so it came at me and I just thought my god I'm just being me Mary trying my best with my sort of slightly Joan of Arc you know, shields, and it just, it they just went for me. And this was just the time of the rise of Twitter, and it was just constant. I just dreaded looking at it. It was just, I actually felt physically sick. But when it really hit bad was when I was like, do you know what? This is going to make me better and braver. And I decided, I remember all my agents were in going, right, we'll get back and we'll speak to the press, you'll be okay. And I remember my the agent, the, the head agent around me said, you know what? You're a good person and you know you're a good person. Let's just ride this one out. And we did. It was the best piece of advice I could take. And, you know, now some people I say about it, they, they've forgotten it or they don't know or they see me what I am today. But that was that was really tough. It was tough when I got staked out after I, you know, told the truth about my brother being the donor of my son and I was walking out with my wife with, you know, no makeup on, exhausted with a new baby and paps were there and, you know, after God, us constantly. Brutal, yeah, it? it really is brutal. And mm. you're thinking, I just don't want this. And then it just kept on being written about. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is other people's lives. And just because I'm in the public eye, um, they don't have to be dragged into it. And sometimes I go out there being honest Mary and forget 
sometimes the impact that can have on others. Yeah. My ex-husband gets written about. He's been doorstepped by the lovely mail on Sunday. And, um, you know, so, and thank God I've always married and been with decent people and he just tells them to clear off, you know, because... Yeah. But you see, so, but I've had to grow from that. And I, and I, I do forget quite well, actually. Um, I do. I'm quite good at just that. put things behind you and move on. I do. I do. I, I didn't used to as much, but I think as I've got more confident and, and more knowing who I am, and I think, well, if that's what people want to do, that's really their problem more than me. Yeah. I remember I had this guy who rang me from the mail, and he was only a young journalist, and he was going after it and after it, and I just said to him, do you really enjoy doing this? What did he say? And he was really quiet. He said, not really. I said, well, why? Because mm. you're really bright. And I could tell you something that will you'll put as your, you know, that will give you a great headline. But actually, I just really am feeling stressed by this. This is making me feel uncomfortable. How does it make you feel? Yeah. And he was like really sweet, finished the conversation and wrote the most sweetest piece. <laughs> oh, well, well done. Well, I, but I mean, that's very rare. I mean, yeah. but it did happen. I was like, oh, my God. Because I just thought, I don't want my son doing that. Yeah. God, you really come up against it when you put yourself out there, don't mm. you? And the sad thing about that is, is the good people won't go and do political stuff. Yeah. So you end up with the people who are total tossers. There's something about that in the papers today, actually, is saying there? that women don't put themselves forward to be political candidates because it's such a toxic Well, that's why I'm talking about yes. this in my book, which I, I talked about the time when Jeanette Winston and I went in and we were fighting to save, you know, the rates, which they eventually decided to put down a bit after seven years. Thanks. Nice one, Philip Hammond, after the tire streets on its knees. But anyway, and I counted the amount of women who were walking through the corridors compared to men. It was ridiculously low. And, and here's the thing. When I did my high street report and I travelled the country, the power of the women who got out and wanted community to work, I would say 90% were women. Mm. who were starting markets, opening creches, because the infrastructure of that social network was absolutely central to them as women in society, the carers, which we are, which we are. And yet we're missing them coming into the seats of power because the construct is toxic, political, and quite frankly, a complete bag of shite. <laughs> <laughs> and why would you want to work within that? I did it and you actually don't. I want to do what's best. And you go, well, we're going to write about you this way. And we can't do this. We can't do that because that won't go down well with such and such. And you're like, seriously? Seriously? Is this the way I want to live? And if we had women running this, this country, this running the world, we wouldn't have wars. Yeah. We wouldn't have wars. We wouldn't be looking at another poppy day 100 years from now, which there will be for all the people that are dying in the wars. We just wouldn't have it. We'd have negotiated, we'd have thought about our children, we'd have thought about our parents, we'd have thought about our siblings and gone, there surely has to be another way. So do you really feel that men and women are fundamentally different in their, you know, brains? In yes. Terms of yeah, there was a brilliant, um, there was a one in, in, in interview that I listened to which actually inspired me wonderfully by um, a professor, I think she's at UCL, Helena Cronin, in conversation with Jermaine Greer on fe a feminist talk. I think she did it within our time, which is M Melvin Bragg's show, and it was superb. And she said, you cannot, you just cannot disregard two million years of the way men were brought into the world, the way they worked, the way they fought in the world versus women. And you listen to Vanana Shiva, who's another great, I, I love what she does, and she talks about, you know, men went out to war, 
The women stayed at home. They found the food. They fed the kids. They created the home. Then men became the capitalists to create wealth. It was, again, the same sort of fighting. that was. And, and when you look at business today, it's about how do we make that money? How do we create this wealth? Single-minded looks. Again, the women made the world turn round. And in the end, that's what we will need to survive are all those values that women have. And Helena Cronin talks about men. If men had to choose a female partner and someone said there's 50 of those women you can go out and shag, they'd shag the lot. (laughs) And if a woman had to choose her partner for life who's going to be the father, she'd be more judicious. And she'd say, I'll choose this because she'll know that the responsibility will be on her shoulder of that family. And also she couldn't cope with all that, nor would she want to be shagging 50 men. We are different that we are different still we and so until we admit that and know it and i brought out two sons a daughter i have three brothers one sister i've been brought by father there is a difference Mm. sadly the world of work has been constructed by men for men it is still alpha and women have had to lean in yeah women have had to change shape to get to the top and invariably alpha women get to the top and all those incredible other balanced women are left behind it's the system that brings it down yeah same as politics which is what you talked about yeah fascinating um a lot to think about here so you've also talked about um when you're bringing up kids the importance of having a support network Mm. so how did that ring true for you how did that become something you would advise people well you know i just think Building a network when your kids... I mean, you start off and you go to those NCT classes, I think, isn't it? Isn't it NCT? Yes, yeah. And they say, I've got nothing in common with anyone here. <laughs> and you realise, we're all got babies, we're all having sleepless nights. But I just remember, you know, I didn't have much money, you know, and I, when I first had my kids and I, I just literally did not, not have, you know, a full-time nanny. I couldn't afford it. So that support, and I didn't have my parents weren't alive, so I didn't have that either. And my sister worked really long hours and was as busy as I was. So I just remember just the weekends even, knowing that you had a little group of people there you go, Right, I'm good. It's a January afternoon on a Saturday. My son was born. It's grey. It's peeing down with rain. You want to shoot yourself because you have a two-year-old. And I'm sorry, literally listening to Peppa Pig for the 15th time is my (laughs) idea of hell. And your mate goes, do you want to come around for a cuppa? And I'll have a mess on my floor and they can play together, the kids. And you're like, yes, (laughs) yes. Just give that to me or we'll both go to the swings together and we'll push and do a name chat and get ourselves together and through this. That support, even my neighbour, I had a neighbour who was older than me, she had older children, she was there for me, you know, and it was just, just connecting with your friends and people, doesn't matter what age, and just having that social infrastructure and also saying, I need help, I need help this time. It's just vital in life, it's the same in business, you know, we're not an island, and also be vulnerable, yeah. I hated the friends. Like, man sleeping through the night. I go, what? Mine isn't. I'm exhausted. I can't bear it. Or those women that go, yes, I get up at 5.30, do yoga. You thought that was going to be me, didn't you? <laughs> and then I'll sort of have a little lesson on my Mandarin because I get it up to scratch. And then I'll go online because China will still be open and I'll do some deal. And then I'll get the kids up and I'll feed those. And oh, by the way, I've got eight children. Did you not know? And then I run to the bank and my husband's very helpful because he makes sure the au pair and the nanny and the cook's picked up and uh, give me a break <laughs> give me a break and they're, they're the ones who you get on the front of the magazine going aren't they amazing 
No, what's amazing and what gets you through is saying, this ain't easy sometimes. And there's times where I've sobbed, sobbed with my friends who think I've got an amazing life. But my real pals will be the ones sitting there with a glass of wine going, oh, are you okay, Paul? Just I go, no, I'm just knackered now. Just, let's just sit there. Or they want to come round for dinner. I go, do you mind if you cook it? And they go, no problem, I'll cook it. <laughs> and they're the great mates. Or they'll come down to the country. Go, can we come down to the house? Go, right, yes, anyone can stay. Anyone can do it. But I can't do the hosting. I have to give something up. I'm not going to be coming yes. down, you know, slipping into my little fluffy mules and going, morning, what's for breakfast? Ain't going to happen. I love this. Yeah. Yes, and then friends all just come in, come in and do it. And why not? It's like a bunch of girls at uni, you know. Do it together. Don't expect me to be, you know, the hostess with the mostess. I might have the lovely house of the country. Share it with me, please. I need you there. But I can't do all that. And that's the pals that you have. And they're not the ones who are just doing the most high profile. They're the friends who connect with me and love me. Yeah, that's so liberating. So your sixth piece of good advice is about sort of choosing carefully what you do and don't say yes to. Yeah. Yeah, I, I um, especially on social media. I mean, I absolutely hate networking. It, <laughs> you wouldn't think. I just can't bear it. But I you know everyone already, so you don't need to know. Well, <laughs> I never liked it anyway. I just didn't like it because I always just think I have to sort of put on a persona to talk with you and chat with you, and and it's just not me. And I, I like I never used to be one on the phone. I don't phone people. Face to face is for me. <gasps> Great, I've bumped into you, and if you're in that right energy space, something magical happens. But like just chatting I'm terrible even my daughter and my son said you never rang us when we were at uni I was like, <laughs> if you needed me you knew and I always used to think they're having a great time but if there's a problem they'll I'm, they know I'm there but I just couldn't go how are you I'm just rubbish at it and, but the worst is all those people that you see turning up to the opening of an envelope or any event so they want to either put it on social media or they just want to sort of you know keep on top of the gossip know what's happening and you kind of see through that in the end, you know? And I just think it's a waste of your energy. Go to stuff that you think is really going to feed your soul and really going to make a difference. And actually, or have a sense of purpose about it. And I'm, I'm not saying turn down everything, because some magical things, I can often be a grump and my wife will go, oh, please turn up, and then I end up having a great time. But it's just that feeling you've got to be there for the sake of their no. Ask yourself, why am I going? Yeah. And do I need to go? And is this something that's going to benefit me? And Am I going to enjoy it? And just keep a balance on it. Keep on top of it so that you're not always sort of out there with a load of baggage friends who hang on just because you're there having a drink with them. Yeah. So don't get sucked into FOMO, basically. FOMO. It? Yeah, there's a lot of FOMO going Stand on. Stand up isn't to it? FOMO. Stand up to FOMO. Okay. Um, and now please tell me your piece of bad advice that you will not be following. <laughs> <laughs> well, I nearly did. Only for about 10 minutes. Um, so... I went out to lunch with this guy who'd sold his business for a lot of money, a lot, a lot of money. And I was like a bit jealous. I was like, God, how did he do it? You know, how did he make so much money? He's talented. And I said, I asked him some advice. You know, I was changing the structure of the agency. And he said, employ an utter ruthless bastard to do your finance. And he used another word for it. And I thought, aren't utter ruthless bastards expensive? You know, I probably do need that. Someone is just going to be on those numbers going, Fortress, we need to go after this. It's going to make you rich. And <laughs> Sack like, this yeah. person. Sack that bar. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, stop it. <laughs> and I have the least utter bastard in my finance. And I think, I, I think I'd call him a hippie practically. He is the strongest, kindest, collaborative, creative person who I trust. And it's just so much better. 
He never answers his phone, which annoys the tits off me. So he's never fully on, but I know he might be climbing a mountain or mountain biking or putting his kids on his back with his wife and going to South France and finding some esoteric bottle of wine. And I kind of love that. <laughs> when I need him, he's never there. But when I really need him, I trust him with my life. Okay. And that's much more important. You don't have to be ruthless to be brilliant. You so don't have to be. That's all of our advice. I've loved speaking to you. Thank you so much for coming to in. You. And best of luck with Work Like a Woman, which I will be recommending to everyone. Thank you. In the <laughs> stockings. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much to Mary. I loved speaking to her and I hope you found her advice as interesting as I did. Her book, Work Like a Woman, is out now. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please do subscribe, rate us, review us, tell everyone you know about us. It really helps spread the word. See you next week for more advice from women worth listening to. Listener.